right. Good morning, Calvary Church. No, that was all right. You guys were pondering, do we want to say good morning or not? But uh, hey, glad that you guys are here. We have two different, one we say a whole lot more than the second thing, but one thing we say a bunch here, in case you're visiting, or in case you come here and you forget what we're trying to do, uh, what we have the privilege of doing together is working to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth, right? And so that's what we're pressing into together. That's where we have a bunch of events and ministries. We talk about that a lot. And along with that statement, I started a statement that I don't really say that much, but it was, bring a Bible, grab a bulletin. Do you remember that one? I'll start, I'll start saying that more. But to this morning, these two are actually connected because we have a bunch of things going on to help drive our vision, particularly driving the way we're trying to impact other people with God's love and truth, whether that be in Philly, whether that be in the Dominican Republic, uh, whether that be in Paris, France, wherever that is. And there's tons of information about different impact partnerships and opportunities and prayer requests and how to get information that's in your bulletin. So I would encourage you to grab that bulletin if you haven't already on the way out. And you can read about those things uh, just to see what God's doing and what we can partner in and be part of doing. And this weekend, the reason that uh, we're probably a little light is because it's Memorial Day weekend. And there's a lot of folks who right now are firing up their smoker and putting their ribs on here, but we're here. So maybe they'll get food poisoning from those ribs or something. I don't know. It's not spiritual. I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> But I think for a bunch of us, right, and I know that we have the privilege of having a bunch of folks, a good number of folks from other countries or different backgrounds, and for a bunch of us, this weekend is we eat barbecue, we hang out, we don't go to school, we don't go to work, we plant some flowers, we hop into the pool, and it's a, it's a, a relaxing weekend. But for others, the purpose of this weekend is to carve out a time uh, here in the United States to remember those who have served in our military and died as a result of their service. And for some people that is in this body, that is a very uh, real situation, either because they've lost somebody who served or because you've served or because right now one of your kids is serving. And so um, we just want to affirm and acknowledge those of us in the body who have participated in the military um, and it is a sacrifice. I had the privilege of in Savannah, our church had a bunch of rangers and Black Hawk pilots and um, just watched what that did to families and different stories. So uh, a bunch of folks have been called to things that I have not, and we do want to just mention that this morning. And, and I want to mention along with that, right, it is, it is a result of the fall that we have wars. It is a result of a fall that we live in a world that is not the way it should be, the way God designed this world was for all nations, all countries, all people to be unified and to be worshiping God together. And as a result of our choices, thinking we knew what's better, we ruined all that. And we live in a world where the result of that is war and animosity and horrible conflict that many times seems just pointless. And the hope is that we're studying the book of Revelation. Uh, the hope is that one day, someday, all of that is going to end where there will be no more wars, there will be no more tears, but there will be all people of all nations from all countries gathered together in unity uh, before Jesus worshiping him. So we look forward to that day. And so we're going to learn a little more about that this morning as we press into what God has for us in the text. And so I will pray, and then we will move into that. 
Father, thank you for the opportunity for us once again to come this morning and to open up your word. And we come expectantly. We know, Father, that uh, I'm up here not just giving a talk, um, and I know the people have come not just to hear a speech, but we have the privilege of interacting with your word and your truth for us today through the power of the Spirit. And so, Father, we're grateful for that chance, and I dependently ask you to please work for whatever purpose it is you have for this word in our lives and our stories this morning, that we may know you better and equally as important, that we may be transformed in some way in our actions and our obedience to you. And we pray this in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. Well, one endearing thing, if you've ever spent any time with little kids. Anybody here ever spend any time with little kids? Wives, that is not your husbands, okay? Just to clarify. If you've ever spent... Thank you, Tony. I'm glad you liked that joke. I appreciate that. That's why sometimes two services are good, because I can test a joke on the first service, and I can pull it or adapt it. But, but, but here's the deal. If you've ever spent any time with little kids, uh, and, and I don't know what age group it is, but at some age group for a certain period of time, that one of the most endearing characteristics of kids at that age group is no matter what you say, they have one thing, and it's not no, but no matter what you say, they have one thing in response to what you've just said, and this is what they say, why? Why? Right? And, and, and we see it on TV shows, we hear, but when you actually experience it, you're like, oh my goodness, this actually happens, right? Like, hey, we're going to get in the car now. Why? Because we're going to the grocery store. Why? Because we need to go get some potatoes. Why? Because we need to make mashed potatoes. Why? Because we need to dinner. Why? Because our bodies need dinner. Why do I? It's just, it's amazing. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Why, 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 why? And it is endearing and it is amazing because there's an innocence. There is a questioning There is a, man, the world is before them, and they're just trying to figure out their part in that story and how everything puts together, and so there's these whys and these whys and these whys, and then that stage of life passes, and kids enter other stage, and eventually kids become grown-ups like us, and when we become grown-ups, it seems we ask why a whole lot less. Right? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever compared a little kid in whatever age bracket that is to a grown-up? And somewhere along the way, I think we've just lost our sense of wonder. We've lost a little bit of our curiosity. We've lost our awe at the world, and along with it, we've lost the questions of why, 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 why. Maybe we become cynical as grown-ups. Maybe, like I said, we lost imaginations. Maybe we just get busy and we just accept that that's the way life is. And I don't know, what are we going to do? Question it. No, we'll just keep pressing on. We ask why. But there are moments in, in, in your life as a student, in your life as a college, young adult, in a trade, as an adult, as a grandma, as a grandpa, wherever you are. And the, there are still moments when you do still ask why. Not as much as a little kid, but periodically. And, and sometimes you ask those questions when you're told to do something. As a grown-up, your boss tells you to do something, you don't really want to do it, and so you know that no is not the right answer, so you say, why? <laughs> right? Why? Maybe you ask questions when you don't want to do something and you don't want to do, or maybe you just want a broader context because you are curious about why. 
We ask questions as little kids that fades away as adults. Periodically as adults, we still ask why when we want to know things. And, and when we move beyond what our boss wants us to do or weather forecasts or whatever, sometimes the why questions, even as grown-ups, comes in terms of spiritual things. Every single one of us is in a different place in our spiritual journey. And have you ever somewhere along your journey spiritually asked the question, why? Why? You come to a church service like this and you hear somebody open up something in the Bible and they're preaching it and they're teaching it, they're talking about God, and you think to yourself, yeah, I mean, I hear what the guy's saying, but like, like why? Why? Or... Maybe you're, you're, you're reading your Bible and the Bible clearly tells you you should do this or you should not do that and you don't have any question about what it says, but your question is like, well, why does it say, like, why do I have to do that? Why does God not want me to do that? Why does God want me to do that? And, and maybe in your spiritual journey you ask why. Have you ever asked why? Hey, and if you guys could start the sermon timer just because people do have to go eat their food poisoned ribs here so they don't stay here all day. Maybe, have you ever in the course of your spiritual journey ever asked that question, why? Maybe some of you are asking it now. Maybe some of you are in a moment and you're asking, why is this happening? Maybe you know that God wants you to do something and you're thinking to yourself, why? Have you ever asked that question when it comes to the worship of God? When we're in church, people say churchy things. And one of the spiritual things we often hear in church and talk about church and probably was already said today, and I've said it, I think, in my prayer, well, how we have an opportunity, a privilege to worship God. That's something that we as Christians should be doing is worshiping God, that God wants our worship. And maybe you've been in an environment where you've heard worship God, worship God, worship God, and maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that catchphrase, but Why? Why should I worship God? Why is God worthy of being worshipped? What has he done? Like, I need some tangible, specific things that give me some guardrails, some handrails to grab onto to the worship of him. And that's what today's text will help answer that question. Today's text is not going to fully answer the question of why we worship God. There are sermon series and immense passages of scripture that deal with this issue. But today's text is going to give us some of the reasons of why we should worship God, because what today's we're going to see is a worship service. Smack dab in the middle of the book of Revelation, which is the book that we're walking through, because what we do here at Calvary, do you know what we do here at Calvary every week? Yes, you do, because you hear me say this. Somebody commented to me like, you do know that you say every week, we open up a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse, paragraph to paragraph. Well, I say that every week because we do that every week, right? And so we've been doing that through the book of Revelation. And we're going to summarize in a minute. But smack dab in the book of Revelation, this book with all sorts of symbolism and, and prophecies, smack dab in the middle of that, we see a worship service. And in that worship service, the people are singing a worship song. And within that worship song, there's some content that will help you and me answer the question of why we should worship God. Our text is going to be Revelation 15. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, open it up. And it's important because we're kind of getting closer to launching this jet off the runway and being done with our study of Revelation. I think it's important if we're coming in, coming out, zipping, zipping, let's kind of remember where we are. So we have one of my amazing, trademarked, copyrighted, 
best graphic design you'll ever see chart. I'm sure Apple is calling me for my aesthetic skills. I mean, <laughs> amazing. Just, I'm being sarcastic, obviously, right? Okay, so here's kind of where we've been so far in the book of Revelation. Starts off talking about Jesus. Then there's this real-time reality of seven churches that were facing things during the writing of this book about 95 AD. We talked about that. We saw applications for ourselves. That was way back, man, in probably last September or so. Then we saw this scene where God's being worshiped. And at this point, we're starting now to see some things that we're saying is about the future. Like I always say, there's different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. And some people will say that all of the things that we're going to see moving ahead deal with things that have already happened. Some people will say that they're just kind of symbolic of the reality of good and evil and God versus Satan in the world. What we're saying is that these things actually look ahead to a future moment, and they're describing future yet-to-come events. Could I be wrong? I always tell you I could be. But you got to pick a path. That's the path we're picking. So right about here, we start seeing some things in the future. And the, the question is, the world is a mess. And things are broken. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know that things are broken. And so the question here is, who's going to fix it? And so the answer is, Jesus is going to fix it. He's worthy to fix it. And then we started seeing this symbolic uh, descriptions of some seals and some trumpets. Seals and some trumpets. And with each of the seals and with each of the trumpets, there were really, really bad things that starts to happen on earth. And there's a question of whether these, you may remember this, you may not, there's a question of whether these are chronological, right? Whether this happens first or whether that happens first. Or, ready? Big nerdy word, whether they are recapitulating. Oh, that is so pleasant to say on your palate. Everybody just say recapitulating. Ah, oh, it's like poetry. So there's a question about whether these are chronological or whether this is the same event described here. It's just a different way. We pick chronological. We could be wrong. What we said, though, is this is a moment in history, in human history and biblical history, that begins what's called the tribulation. This was really, really heavy. So in chapter 10 through chapter 10, God's like, bro, John, I, John's the one writing the books, the inspiration of the Spirit. I got to encourage you, okay? So 10 was an encouragement. Then we moved on to other sections, and we saw this seventh trumpet. And this is the seventh trumpet when we said at that moment, Jesus is going to start his return to earth. We have covered all these things in depth and sermons. If you're curious, look it up. Then we enter into this three-part parentheticals. Okay, the story is still going, right? The, these future events are, but within that, there's things that are going on while these are occurring. And what God does in Revelation is he drops some footnotes. And he's saying, hey, while all of these things, these trumpets and bowls are going, here's three th two things that are also going on under the story, behind the story. And the first one we saw in 12 and 13, that if our view is correct, it's this moment where Satan attacks God and God's people. We, we studied that for a couple of weeks. This is the moment where someone that we said is this antichrist leader who creates hardship and persecution for God's people on earth, right? The Antichrist. We talked about 666. I was at the DMV on uh, Friday. I was at the DMV on Friday. And there's a person next to me getting a license plate. 
And I'm just listening because my guys look at some policy code 4952 to see if I could do what I wanted to do, and I couldn't. So the, the person, I'm just kind of like, look, and the person next to me, and the lady hands this person the license plate because they filled the paperwork. The lady's like, thanks for coming in. Here's your license plate. And it started with 666. And the person in line said, I do not want that license plate. <laughs> and the lady's like, okay, but I got bad news for you. And she pulls the next license plate out. And it says 666. He goes, I don't want that license plate. And she, and she was so sweet. She's like, sir, I have a box of license plates that all starts with 666. Nobody wants them, but somebody's got to take them. Because I don't want these, and they won't take them back, right? But it was just another interesting reminder that in our culture... This, this book oozes its way into the culture, right? This reference to 666 in a book of Revelation has woven its way into the Bridgeport DMV and license plates, right? It's, it's, wait, is the DMV the Antichrist? I think I should write a book. I would make billions. All right, so that was that. Then we, last week, man, we're just in a... Um, a weighty, if you were here, heavy sermon on this would have been really discouraging for Christians because it's going to be hard. And so what God does is want to encourage Christians that, man, there is something good waiting for you on the other side of that. But the flip side that we talked about is what does God reveal about people who aren't Christians? What's waiting on the other side for them. And then we come to today's chapter. It's the last in the parentheticals because next week uh, what you're going to be studying, what we'll be studying is the bowls, right? Seven bowls. There's going to be a question of are they like the seals and trumpets chronological or not? But this week's chapter is a prelude. It's setting the scene. It's telling what's happening. It's telling the backstory to setting up what we'll see next week when we study the seven bowls, okay? So Revelation 15 describes preparation for this bold judgments, which are the final judgments that will be poured out, that will hit the earth during the tribulation period. It's over. Jesus is coming back. There's one last round of that are characterized in the bowl judgments, and that's next week. And this is setting that up. It's the prelude to it. And here's what Revelation 15 says. It's the shortest chapter in Revelation, I think. Um, so I'm just going to read it. And listen to the structure of it, okay? Because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Revelation 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So there's this reference of plagues. And then verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of the witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with seven plagues. So we see these plagues again, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. 
And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Here's what's the, the setting the stage. You see, we've seen plagues and we've seen bowls. And like I said, next week, these bowls are going to start to be poured out on the earth, right? And there's this link that these bowls have something to do with plagues. And in many ways, uh, the Bible back early in the Old Testament talked about some plagues that came on the earth. And these are very, very similar to that. And these are the judgments in the last tribulation of the tribulation. And Revelation verse 1 and Revelation uh, Revelation 5, chapter 15, verse 1, and Revelation chapter 15, verses 6 through 8, describe the preparation of those, right? So on this side, verse 1 describes the preparation. And then over here, verse 5 through 8 describes some more preparation. But there's something wedged in between those two descriptions. Between the preparation for judgment, right, there is this snapshot of a worship service. There's this snapshot of people singing, of people praising God, of people affirming God. And look at the song that these guys are singing. It refers to it in verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses likely refers back to Exodus 15. If you want to read it later, Exodus 15 um, God is delivering his people out of another country and they're being pursued by the army and God miraculously provides for them and helps them escape and keeps them safe and delivers them through that. And on the other side of that stressful, hard, challenging moment when God delivered them, Moses wrote a song of worship. It's the first song ever written and the first song that we have record of ever being sung in the Bible. So, so that's what the Song of Moses is referring to. The Song of the Lamb, people don't know what that is. Some people are like, hey, there's this, it's this song that's never been sung before anywhere else in the Bible. Some people think that actually these words are the Song of the Lamb. But regardless of what it is, what's really, really interesting is this song, this worship experience, this worship of God, is wedged right between this description of God preparing to enact the justice of God. The, the things that are going to happen on the earth are linked with the justice of God. Because, like we've said, sin has broken everything. And a just God is committed to fixing that. A just God is committed to dealing with all of the injustices that have unfairly happened to people on the earth. And the song actually describes the justice of God in verse 3. It says, just and true are your ways. Here's what the structure of this chapter shows. The structure of this chapter shows this, that the worship of God is linked with the justice of God. That the worship of God in this chapter is linked with, flows from, looks to, and responds to the justice of God. Here's the first observation 
from the text, from the structure, from this really unique place that this worship service is wedged, that the justice of God compels worship to God. The justice of God compels worship to God. You and I, I mean, jump on Twitter right now. Jump on whatever news feeds you like to look at, and it will take you about four seconds to realize that we live in a world where there's lots of injustice. We, we live in a world <clears throat> where there is lots of pain caused by people to other people. We live in a world, as we always have, where wicked, evil, selfish people do really, really, really horrible, unkind, unfair, unjust things to innocent people. That's the world we live in. Injustice. Not fair. Taking advantage of. People using you to get ahead for themselves, not for your betterment, but for their betterment. All of that happens in the world around us. But what this verse reminds us is, but you know what, that's not what God is like. What this passage reminds us of is, yes, that happens, but God is just, which is a two-sided coin. Because on some side, there's encouragement that comes from that. But on another side, there's a sobering that comes from that. Because a just God does do what justice requires. But on the positive side of that, what it means for those of us who are followers of Jesus and even those who aren't is that God is just. He doesn't play favorites. He doesn't treat people unjustly. God will not treat you unjustly. He may not treat you the way you want to be treated. He may not treat you the way you thought your story was going to go and you thought the script was going to go. And you may have stresses, you may have needs, you may have financial problems, you may have lost a job, you may have had also. But, but, but in that, God may not treat you the way you want to be treated, but God will always treat you justly. He won't be unjust. He will not take advantage of you. God is a God of promises. God is just, and God promises justice. And maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I need somebody in my life who I feel is going to treat me justly. Because maybe you feel that you're just in a moment where you're bouncing around like a pinball in a pinball machine where people all around you are not treating you justly. Or you see injustice, or you see things that are not the way they should be, and you long and you just you, you cling to rumors of something better than that. And what this is reminding us of us is that God is just, and the justice of God should compel the worship to God. But what's interesting is you know what? You, you know what the story was of the people singing this song? The story of the people singing this song is they had been treated unjustly. They had been treated unjustly. These were people <clears throat> who we've seen through the text. They were followers of Jesus. And when, if our view of Revelation is correct, when the pressure came for them to choose, are you still going to worship Jesus or not? They said, I'm going to worship Jesus. 
They said, I am not going to abandon him. I am not going to swerve from him. I am anchoring my faith, and I am even willing to anchor my life to Jesus. And because of that, if our understanding is correct, they were murdered. They weren't treated justly. But in this moment, even though they were treated horribly and murdered and unjustly and wrongly and unfairly, you know what they're doing? They're worshiping. They're worshiping. And it's interesting how they're described. The the people singing these songs are described in verse 2 as this. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast. That's a really interesting phrase, conquered the beast, because on first reading, what we see is, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't really understand that because it looks to me like the beast conquered them. It looks to me like they said, hey, I'm going to stick with Jesus. And this leader who is anti-Christ, who is against Christ, says, all right, bro, if you're going to stick with him and not him, you're gone. And it seems in that story that the guy who takes another person's life would be the person who could be described as the conqueror. It seems the person who lost their life would be described as the losers. But what's really, really interesting is the phrase losers isn't described there. They're being described as the ones who conquered. As the ones who conquered. And the reason that they conquered was this, because their story on this earth was not the end of their story. The story on this earth was not the end of their story, and there was something after that story and beyond that story. And even though there was a moment in this story when it looked like they were the losers, when it looked like they weren't the winners, when it looked like they weren't being the conquerors, that they were being conquered, that was just a snapshot of a moment in a story that isn't the full story. Because no matter what they lost here, in eternity, they gained. They gained. And they made a choice. Are they going to live to win here and lose there? Or are they going to live to win there even if it means losing here? And in different ways, There is nobody in this moment who is coming at this second and saying, if you worship Jesus, I'm going to imprison you here in Trumbull, Connecticut. But in all sorts of different ways, every day you and I have to make that choice. In a much lesser consequence way, every day you and I have to make a choice about where we want to win and where we want to lose. And every day in different ways we make choices about are we going to win here at the cost of potentially losing something in the kingdom because we could gain rewards there? Or are we going to go all in in the kingdom and strive to, man, we're going to live here so that we can win there, even if it means that sometimes we lose here? We saw in Revelation, or we see in the Gospels, how God says, look, how you as a Christian live in this earth in this moment matters because there are rewards that I will give to people who are given a kingdom moment and decide to leverage it through the power of the Spirit for the good of the kingdom to expand it. And what God says is, man, when I give you a moment in this earth, in this story now, and you have a chance to expand my kingdom, and you go all in to do that, I'm going to reward you when your story here is over. These people didn't lose. 
These people conquered. And these people conquered because they were willing to lose here. Really interesting word. And I think what flows from that one little word, right, is this challenge to you and to me this morning, this. Worship God. Here's a reason we should worship God. Worship God knowing that the pain in the middle does not change victory in the end. If you're a follower of Jesus, worship God knowing that even when you're feeling pain in the middle, because pain in the middle doesn't change victory in the end. We, we sung that already together. I was fervently typing one of the lyrics that we sang where we sang this out of that hymn of heaven song. <clears throat> Every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. Every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears today. Worship God, knowing the pain in the middle doesn't change victory in the end. And there may be some of you today who are singing songs of faith through doubt and fear. There may be some of you today when you sang that lyric or I read that lyric about prayers made in desperation, that is you. That's like, you're like, bro, that's it. End stop, period. Don't say anymore. That's me. And if it's you, I hope that this passage is an encouragement to you. Because you may be going through some pain in the middle. But man, pain in the middle doesn't change victory in the end. Don't lose sight of what is yet in store. I'm stealing this from a friend of mine because he made this comment to me at the beach the other day. I went to an event for a nonprofit dealio, and he said, we live in the hyphen. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, we live in the hyphen. You know, the hyphen. I'm like, okay, I know what the, okay, bro, I know what a hyphen is. I just don't have any clue what you're talking about. He's like, you know, like the hyphen. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, this guy's going to know what a hyphen feels like across his jaw in a minute. I'm like, I don't know. And he said, when you look at like an obituary, when you look at a tombstone, there's the year you're born, there's the year you die, and there's the hyphen between the two. And I'm like, bro, I'm stealing that. <laughs> and I have. And it's true. We live in a hyphen. And that hyphen, it is filled with moments of unbelievable joy. There is joy that comes in the hyphen. God gives grace. God gives beauty. God gives food that tastes good on our palates. God gives the sound of babies laughing. God gives sunset on the oceans. God gives the smell of freshly cut grass. God gives hugs from other people to encourage us when we need it. There is joy in the hyphen. And then there's also moments in the hyphen that would not be described as joyful. There are moments in the hyphen that are filled with pain and hardship where it might look like our faith is in vain and God has let us down, but that is just a moment in the hyphen. 
because there's more to the story than just the hyphen. There's what comes after it. There's what comes after it. And what's after it for Christians, no matter the challenge and the hyphen, is victory, is hope fulfilled, is no more faith but complete sight, is whatever you've longed for for completeness being fulfilled in the moment when you're in the presence of God and all is well. You know what shalom means? Shalom. It's a, it's a word that conveys this idea of, of may there be rich completeness. May there be totality. May every circumstance and every situation in your life be woven together in a way that there is wholeness, that there is blessing, that there is completeness, that there's no frayed end that's causing pain. And in the end, no matter what happens to you in the hyphen, there's shalom that's waiting for you. Worship God knowing the pain in the middle does not change victory on the end. And the challenge is, no matter what we face in the hyphen, we're still called to worship God. Why? Because of who He is and because of what He's promised. Because of who He is, what He's promised. And one way to move towards worship on a good day and a bad day, you know what helps move us to worship? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Um, ungratefulness, bitterness, lack of contentment, those things smother worship. But thankfulness, gratitude, contentment at a blessing that God has given to you even when you have to work for like six hours to find that blessing in the middle of the darkness, that is a catalyst for worship. Thankfulness to God is a catalyst to worship to God. And so if you're in a hyphen moment having a challenge, worship, man, strive and move, what are you thankful for? I know there's so many things that maybe you're not, but what are you thankful for? And if you're in a beautiful moment in your hyphen, then this is the ideal time for you to take some time and say, okay, life is great. So let me now not be arrogant and I think that I deserve it. Let me realize that all of this greatness is a blessing from God. And when I'm enjoying and relishing in the greatness of what he's given me, let me now be purposeful to be thankful. When God blesses us, sometimes we're thankful, but sometimes we think like, well, yeah, of course I deserve it. And our sense of entitlement to whatever God has blessed us with keeps us from being thankful to God and it boosts our pride instead of humble worship like, God, you are so good to me. I don't deserve this blessing you've given to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thankfulness to God is a catalyst to worship to God and the challenge is to worship God in the middle of the hyphen on the good days and the bad days. And we worship God knowing that the pain in the middle doesn't change the victory in the end. And there's one more point to be drawn by this song. When you're studying the Bible, like <clears throat> pronouns are so important. Um, and, and look at the song, the lyric of this song in verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King 
of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteousness have been revealed. What, 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 what jumps out, right? What was the word that was repeated, right? You, your, you, your, you, your. What, what's absent from this? You know what's absent from this? Me. These people who had a, if our understanding is correct, who, man, they lost their lives for Jesus, who went through hard, challenging times, who are now experiencing everything they ever longed for, are in the presence of God. And in that moment, they could say a whole lot of things. They could say, God, aren't you proud of me? Didn't I do a good job? They could say, God, I was so faithful to you. They could say, God, I never stopped reading my Bible. God, me, 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 me. But there is none of that. There is you, 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 your. Not a single mention of what they did to God. Not a single mention of how they were on their best day. It's all about God. It's all about God. Final point is this. The worship of God is about God. It's pretty good, right? Makes sense. But here's the problem. Many times we forget that and we make our relationship with God all about us. Or we make life all about us. Some of the most profound four words that I've heard at different moments in my life were these four. I just counted them. I don't know if you saw me do that. <clears throat> were these four words. I think it's four words. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it is. Ready? <clears throat> it's not about you. And in moments when I've been an arrogant, young whippersnapper, to be told, bro, it's not about you. In moments when my life didn't go the chart and the path that I thought it would or should, it's not about you. In moments when there has been um, financial cost, that on the front end, we didn't know how we were going to overcome, but that was part of what God was asking us to do in obedience to him. And he has been so faithful for 51 years. I've told you all the stories of Coca-Cola trucks and mystery checks and mail. He's been so faithful, but we don't see his faithfulness on the front end. And so sometimes when he's calling us to do something hard, right? And, and we're like, yeah, but here's the pros, here's the cons. It's not about you. It's not about you. I don't know how I'm going to be good enough to do what God's calling me to do. It ain't about you. It's about God perfectly working through imperfect people through the perfect power of His Spirit for His glory. And when we think, start thinking it's about us, gonzo, sunk my battleship. And this morning, I don't know what's going on in your story. But I do know this, it's not about you. It's not. It's not about your power. It's not about you trying to 
chase the big office and the big salary. I mean, God blesses people with money. I say that a lot too because pastors sometimes get crazy about that. And like, if you're poor, you're more spiritual. Wrong! There were dudes in this book who like, like Jeff Bezos' yacht looks like a little like inflatable raft at Pinewood Lake, right? I mean, there's some dudes who had come cash in this book and they were dudes who used their cash for the glory of God, right? But, but their priority wasn't chasing it. Their priority was chasing God. I don't know what you're going through, but I honestly hope that for at least one of you this morning in that decision you're facing, that the reminder that it's not about you helps compel you to the place where God is leading you and causing you to go. The worship of God is all about God. And so I'm going to call the worship team to come up here, and I just have two kind of applications for us with that last thought, right? This thought, this reality that the worship of God is all about God. First thing is this, for, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what can we do more regularly? Like, I would love for you to think about these two things. Literally, what can we do more regularly in the course of our normal days to focus on God and to keep the focus on Him? What can you do? What can you do so that when you're busy driving your Uber or practicing soccer or doing homework or cooking meals or changing diapers or whatever, the busy, hectic pace of your life is somewhere in there to have some stops, some triggers to allow us to keep the focus on him? What practical thing can you do? Set an alarm on your iPhone? That seems okay. Every time you see a stop sign, Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. When I see a stop sign, I'm just going to thank God for something. I don't know. But it seems that sometimes something helpful is to wrap these uh, rhythms of triggers into our lives to help us pause to worship God and to keep the focus on Him because it is so easy to move the focus onto ourselves. That's the first thing I challenge you with, what can you do regularly to focus on God? And here's the second thing I challenge you to do. The weather is going to be beautiful tomorrow. I know that. Because my daughter's getting married this week. I don't know how I should feel about that. But I've been checking the weather for about the past two years. Okay, so I know the weather's going to be beautiful tomorrow. Maybe some of you have to work, right? Cops, maybe you're a construction guy finishing the fire. I don't know. Nurse, but a lot of you don't have to work. You don't have school. And here, can you give God, can you give God 10 minutes? Who here thinks that you can give God 10 minutes tomorrow? Yeah, y'all are just saying yes because you don't want the neighbor next to you to think you're bad. You can find 10 minutes. And what I'd encourage you to do is this. Read Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4. Read the worship song that these people were worshiping and pull from that one attribute of God on which you can meditate and think about throughout your memorial day. What can you do in the regular pattern of your life to create triggers and rhythms to help us move our focus off ourselves onto the focus of God? And will you be willing to God give, give God 10 minutes tomorrow? And if so, read Revelation. You don't have to just only give him 10 minutes. If it gets to 11 minutes, you can keep like being with God. It's okay. Read Revelations chapter uh, 15, verses 3 to 4, and find one thing to focus on as an attribute of God. Um, Man, he's worthy of our worship. And I need to be more purposeful in finding ways to worship him more meaningfully. And I'd invite you to come on that journey with me as I try to grow in my worship and my focus of God. Together as a body, we're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to affirm things of what we believe. And so I'll pray. And then uh, we'll start and end our service with this song.
Father, thank you for this glimpse of people who were faithful to you no matter what they faced in their lives and for their courage and for their boldness. And Father, thank you for the glimpse of victory in the end. And I pray that we might be people, God, who the hope of what is coming will be drilled into us and we can live our lives now in such a way that we're making decisions based on eternity. And I pray for your grace in my own life and the lives of every person listening that tomorrow you will give us a reminder to spend some time with you. And in that reminder, we'll come and we'll be able to quiet ourselves and we'll be able to read these verses of what other Christians will sing one day. And you will just reveal to each of us one reality and truth about you that we can think about and meditate on throughout the rest of the day tomorrow. You want us to know you. You want us to grow to be like you. And so I pray your spirit will help us do these things. And Father, we're grateful for all the blessings you give to us and for who you are. Amen.